with the, right. the, this House Bill 316, uh, the, the voting machine legislation. Now, where, where what, because I don't know, what were the changes, how significant were they that the Senate made to the original bill and the House had to sign off on yesterday? Very minor. For example, one of the four changes was when they give you a sample ballot that it has to simply say the, the partisan affiliation of the candidates on the on the sample ballot, which it already does that. And at, at polling locations, they have to post a sign that says they have sample ballots available. So it's very minor changes, although all of the changes were Democrat amendments to the bill. Really? Um, and, and throughout the process, Republicans uh, allowed Democrat amendments um, and committee on both sides of this House and the Senate. You know, I heard that, uh, that I'm not sure who that was speaking, that talked about a fiscal note, but there's something better than a fiscal note. This was in the appropriations uh, budget. So this was in the FY2020 budget, which means there's a $150 million cap. We've appropriated that money. A fiscal note just tells us how much we think something's going to cost. This was in the appropriations bill that goes to not only the machines, but also the training. And this idea in general, um, you know, I, I can't quite understand why the other side is hanging their hat on hand-marked paper ballots. Literally, they want us to go into the ballot box with a pen and vote. I mean, that that's going back in time, and I can't uh, quite understand why they think that's a good idea. And every time, I, I, I almost every time I get on the phone with a constituent who's calling, and we go through the machines that, that we're actually proposing where you would get a printout paper audit trail of who you voted for. You'll be able to see on the paper, I voted for Brian Kemp for governor or Houston Gaines for state house or, you know, opposite. Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you can see right in front of your face who you voted for, and you just scan that right back into the Scantron. You have the paper trail and the, the machine marked ballot. Um, and, and I can't quite comprehend why uh, hand-marked paper ballots. I think that part of it is, you know, I, I saw Stacey Abrams uh, talking just the other day, and, 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 and she said you know, that, that she actually won her race, but she doesn't get to take the, take the job. <laughs> and, and I think that, honestly, this is, a, this is some way for, for the other side to say, hey, we lost because of some machines, but there's never been one example of hacking. Well, to, um, the, to the contrary, any instance, any documented instance of voter fraud in Georgia happened with Handmarked paper ballots. That's right. I mean, I, I I honestly can't believe if you want to talk about ways to to affect an election, it would be through handmarked paper ballots, not through the machines we're talking about, where you literally have a paper audit trail, and you also have what you're going to vote on. Uh, again, scan it back into the machine. It's a it's a it's a. I, I honestly can't believe that that this is even controversial. Well, I mean, it, and and again, these are things for the Democrats to answer and not you, Republican Representative Houston Gaines, but it, it occurred to me yesterday, the, the ACLU has filed a lawsuit, as I'm sure you're aware, suing four counties in Metro Atlanta, four huge counties, Gwinnett, DeKalb, Cobb, Fulton counties, and, and part of the lawsuit claims that the, the voters had to wait inordinate lengths of time and overly long lines, and I'm thinking to myself, and I said this, I think, on the air yesterday, okay, if you're complaining about long lines in one breath and advocating a return to hand-marked paper ballots it's crazy. in the next, there is a there is an inconsistency here because the one thing that I know is going to make the line longer is a handmarked paper ballot. That's right, and let's also talk about how it would disenfranchise disabled people. I mean, there, there's there's all sorts of problems with handmarked paper ballots, and and studies have shown that that people are less likely to actually complete their ballot, which um, you know actually probably hurts Democrats more than Republicans. Uh, that, that, that you know, if you a lot, a lot of people, the so-called undervote. Okay, that's right. I, just I want Brian Kemp to be governor, but I might want John Barrow to be secretary of state. But I'm not going to get that far. Right, just vote. You know, a lot of people on a handmarked paper ballot just go and vote one person leave. Yeah. I mean, if you watch, which I I have watched provisional ballots be counted, people will you know x out a name, circle another name. You know, when you have when you're literally using a pen and a paper. 
uh, you can have all sorts of problems and votes are going to be thrown out because they can't determine who you were trying to vote for. But it, literally all we're talking about is a, is a machine that you'll go in and tap like you do now where you'll make your selections, but your actual vote will be printed out on a receipt. You can see who you voted for on a piece of paper, and then you scan that back in to be to be read. So you all have the paper audit trail along with the actual vote that you've scanned back in. So I just, I mean, the paper and, and on paper, on the paper, uh, handmarked paper ballots, they're still suggesting you scan it back in. So all we're talking about the difference is is how you mark your ballot. Mm-hmm. We're saying you go in like you do now on a on a touch Well, they're screen. saying that that's hackable. Which you're going to get a readout of what you voted for. So if it's hackable. You're going to see it, but that's, I mean, there's, it's not. It's, it's, um, again, we've seen zero instances of, of any instance of, of problems with our current machines, but it is time to update them. Um, and, and I, so let's talk about that, State Rep Houston Gaines. What happens next? I assume the governor's going to sign this bill, and I would assume, I was talking about it earlier this morning, I would assume sooner rather than later. They want to get the clock is ticking that's now. Right. We got to get the RFP have these out. things in Athens for the sales tax right. referendum in November, that what has to happen after this? So the governor will sign it, the Secretary of State's office will put out a request for proposal. And my understanding, there's about seven or eight different vendors across the country that do these sort of machines. Which, by the way, my understanding would be those machines aren't sitting in warehouses someplace. They have to be manufactured. That's right. That's right. And so... Uh, to the, the specifications that you will the, give them. Right. And, and, and the, you know, in, in the uh, bill, there's very specific... And the reason this bill had to even be introduced is because in 2000, uh, you know, the original uh, uh, bill or the original code has... DRE machines, which is the name of these specific machines, which is why the, you, the Secretary of State couldn't just put out an RFP um, automatically. So uh, the, the RFP will go out, request for proposal. The different uh, vendors will put in their, their uh, 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 you know, requests or proposals. And then, um, you know, then the Secretary of State's office will determine the vendor, um, certainly in coordination with, with uh, other offices. And, and then, you know, we'll have the vendor. I think the hope is to get those machines as soon as possible. It would be great, you know, this fall. Um, I think there's a hope to to, to have uh, some sort of, you know, uh, uh, test. Um, and 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 yeah, this, yeah, we all have to learn them. I mean, I, I don't right. think the learning curve is going to be particularly steep. But I mean, in terms of me learning how Absolutely. to operate it, but the, the, the election supervisors that's have right. to know the poll workers, precinct workers, all have to be brought up to speed here. Well, and and one thing I mentioned, the 150 million dollar appropriation. That money includes training for. Uh, county officials and, and, and GMA, the Georgia Municipal Association, ACCG, uh, the counties uh, both supported this bill. The elections officials across the state supported this bill um, because it, it's common sense. Passed in the House, passed before legislative crossover day, awaiting action in the Senate now. To the extent that I understand it, it is this. It would effectively ban just about all abortions in Georgia, certainly those after six weeks, that point at which a baby's heartbeat is typically detected. And there were protesters at the Capitol Senate hearings yesterday, approaching 818 on Classic Today. This and other issues beneath the gold dome in Atlanta in the waning days of this year's legislative session, serving his first term as a representative from Athens, House District 117, Republican Houston Gaines in studio with us this morning. I don't think I even need to look or ask, where were you on the uh, the so-called heartbeat bill? I voted for it. Um, and, and, and one other thing I will mention, the bill did include exceptions uh, for rape, incest, life of the mother, and if the baby is uh, medically futile. Uh, but it, it um, I did vote for it. Um, you know, listen, I ran as a pro-life candidate. And so it's, it's a, I get it's an issue that is filled with passion. You know, it, leading up to the vote, I heard from constituents, hundreds of constituents on both sides of the issue. Um, and so I understand it's, it's a, it's a tough one. And um, I get that there's, 
You know, it's in the Senate now. Uh, my understanding is they've already introduced a committee substitute that made slight changes. Um, and so there's probably going to be more changes in the Senate. Um, and so certainly look forward to seeing how it moves forward. Uh, and Governor Kemp has said he would sign, wants to sign. What he has said he wanted to sign is, is what would be the toughest anti-abortion bill in the country. And they got some competition in that category. Some of the Midwestern states, Ohio, uh, Iowa, I think there's a very restrictive abortion ban that just kicked in or been approved legislatively. States like Utah and there's one other, Arizona, I think, Arizona, Arkansas, one of those states. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Just This just hit me. I'm seeing this, and this is a proposed constitutional amendment. I got a note from his office yesterday, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, uh, of course, the new lieutenant governor. He's talking about term limits for the lieutenant governor. This would require a constitutional amendment, which means the two-thirds majorities in both the House and Senate, and then Georgia voters would decide if it gets that far in next year's election. It's interesting that we term limit the governor and nobody else. It is. It is. And and I really respect the lieutenant governor for uh, his effort on this issue. Um, that's pretty rare for, for someone to term limit uh, their own office. And so, uh, you know, that's something that, that I would certainly support. Um, but but I think Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan is doing a fantastic job and, and really appreciate the work that that he's doing. You know, that's an interesting dynamic, and and you're closer to it than I. I mean, he comes from the House, and that was one of the concerns that that some people have raised. Well, you know, he did no relationships over there in the Senate. Why, he knows about the House, but not the Senate, having served in the House, and suddenly now he is the de facto leader of the Senate. And and, and again, you're in the House. I don't know what what your vantage point is like, but but so far to this session, uh, any major snags there? I haven't seen any, but now's the time. (laughs) Um, you know, last Thursday was crossover day when all bills must get through either the House or the Senate to really remain active, um, you know, with, uh, with I guess, certain ability to, to still attach legislation to other bills. Uh, but generally speaking, that's when things have to get moving through one chamber or the other. And so now is the time where the House and the Senate really are going to be in negotiations uh, talking about each other's uh, pieces of legislation. So the first 28 legislative days, you really... Um, and actually people have asked me, what's the biggest surprise? And that may be one of the biggest is how little interaction you have with the Senate. Mm. Um, but now we're starting to see that. You know, I've got a bill in, in Senate committee on Monday. Um, you know, I've, I'm, in, in our committees that I'm on, uh, health insurance and code revision, we're hearing Senate bills. Um, so that, what, what specific bill are you talking about? That, that I've got? Yeah. Um, so the bill that I'm working on, uh, it's House Bill 217. It would enable syringe services programs in Georgia. And, and the idea being... Uh, several issues. One, chip away at the opioid crisis. Um, these programs have shown to, to, to increase uh, the likelihood of someone entering rehab treatment programs five times more likely uh, to enter rehab treatment programs, reduce the spread of HIV and hepatitis C in our state. We have a real challenge, and, and President Trump has made this uh, issue we talked about in the State of the Union, how we must address it. Uh, Georgia is one of the, the main states that we're seeing a challenge uh, on both both of those issues. Um, and this, this, these sort of programs have shown to be quite effective. Healthcare costs, you know, we continue to see a rise across the country um, and in this state. Uh, but one of the challenges is treating someone who's HIV positive, $400,000 over a lifetime, hepatitis C, a couple hundred thousand dollars over their lifetime. Um, so if we can reduce the spread of, of, of those uh, diseases, uh, that's going to save all Georgians' health care costs. You, know, you call it a syringe program. What do we, how would this work? What are we talking so about? So they would allow the De- Department of Public Health would authorize uh, health care facilities and nonprofits uh, that want to pursue um, exchanging uh, used and dirty needles um, for, for uh, clean ones to, to, again, in hopes of getting someone into rehab treatment programs. 
Um, and these, you know, something the CDC has said is is, is a very effective program. And, yeah, this has been done elsewhere. I mean, what do the data say? Because there's all kind of criticism that you're actually facilitating uh, illegal drug use as opposed to mitigating it. That's right, and and that's not true. Um, you know, that the, all medical studies have shown this is this absolutely works. I do think some places like California go way too far. Um, and, and, and this would be a narrow, tailored program. The Department of Public Health would set the rules and regulations. Um, you know, again, some places, you know, will even open up places where you can just walk in and, and use drugs. That, I, I think there's, there's some extremes um, that some states and places have gone. Um, but this would be a very narrow, tailored program where we're seeing outbreaks of HIV and hepatitis C in our state. Um, and, and the reality is it, doesn't, it does not encourage uh, use you know, someone who's already got it, a used needle, um, that is, and, and this would only be for addicts, um, the reality is they're already using. And so what we want to do is get them into rehab treatment programs. Again, try to ensure that we don't spread any, any HIV or hepatitis C or any other, uh, you know, disease that can spread through needles. Um, and so it, it, it's something that uh, the medical community is, is, is 100% uh, supportive of. Um, and in the House, we passed it 166 to 3. Um, so we had overwhelming bipartisan support on the bill. Um, and we're hearing very positive things out of the Senate. We'll be in Senate committee on Monday and uh, hope to hope to continue to move it forward. And Monday will be day 33 of the 40-day legislation. April 2nd is, is the right. target date for German State Rep. Houston gains course between now and then a budget to be adopted and a budget to be balanced. A couple other things quickly in the time we have left here. A bill that didn't make it through on crossover day, House Bill 302, <laughs> which which would have dealt with, and I suppose it means nothing's ever really dead, but I mean, it, it, it speaks to the relationship between the state government local government and my property and what I can do with it. Where were you on that? I had real problems with the bill, frankly, and I also think it uh, borders on unconstitutional because in the Constitution it leaves zoning matters to local governments. And uh, basically that that took away a lot of zoning power for our local governments. And so I, uh, I, I had challenges with that. You know, certainly we heard a lot of, uh, lot of outreach from Oconee County and Clark County. Uh, constituents and elected officials who had who had issues with the bill. Uh, listen, I'm a strong supporter of private property rights, and, and you start looking at local governments. Th- there are areas where I think you know, local governments step in too much and uh, step in too much to people's private property. Uh, but you know, the state just coming in and saying, "Hey, you know, you can't do any of that." I, I think that bill went too far. Uh, Hartsfield Jackson, the takeover. Where are you on that one? You know, listen, I I think we've seen some real issues at the Atlanta airport. Um, I think the House has already basically said that bill is going to have a hard time moving forward. Um, so I'd be surprised if we see it. My understanding is that even if it were to pass, it, the, 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 there's federal law that says you can't do what you propose to do unless the city goes along. And the, uh, and the city ain't going news, along. The city ain't going along. No. And, 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 you know, something I hadn't even thought about that someone brought up the other day and uh, that you know, the, the city of Atlanta had to pay for that airport. Mm-hmm. And we're not even going to try to, I mean, <laughs> if, if we take it over, we're not like, we can't afford to just pay right. them whatever billions of dollars uh, for the airport. So, uh, you know, as one person said, if I'm going to take someone's stuff, I'm going to at least pay them. And that's just <laughs> theft. And so, uh, you know, but but we have seen some issues with the Atlanta airport. I think they got, uh, hopefully received the message that we're concerned. Um, I think the new mayor uh, is, is making some changes. Um, so I don't really see that bill moving forward, uh, but it's it, it's certainly something that I think the General Assembly is going to continue to keep an Here's eye on. Here's a big one, and, and less than a minute to deal with it, and I apologize in advance. <laughs> uh, the governor's Medicaid ex- Medicaid waiver program. Where's this? 
So it's currently in the House, passed the Senate, certainly something that I'm very supportive of. You know, it's, it, it's a program that other states like Indiana under Governor Pence uh, uh, did, expanding, uh, you know, the, the we're looking at two different waiver programs, 1115 and 1332, a reinsurance program, but also an opportunity to ensure more coverage for folks. But, you know, wholesale Medicaid expansion, that's going to increase coverage to people who can already buy it on the exchange market, who already have private insurance. This is a Georgia-centric solution that I believe will help lower costs for all Georgians and cover more Georgians. And keep the hospitals open? And that, Absolutely. 